morning once again, everybody. Um, that was, I will say that was a better representation of passing the peace in, inside uh, today. You're getting better. I, I, I guess if I keep chastising you, um, you'll get better and better. Like you actually stood up today and I saw people turning around and actually saying something. So well done, um, good job. So I hope you at home have continued to throw up your virtual peace signs that you have been doing so well. Um, we are in the second part of, uh, of this new series called Big Church, and it's based off of a book done by um, a guy named Andy Stanley. And, and, and really, we're going to walk through the book of Acts and, and what it means to be the church. And I think this is a really appropriate time for us to do this as, as we're coming out of this weirdness of quarantine into what we will look like next or now, right? And, and so it's a great time to really rethink all right, who are we and what are we called to do and who are we called to be as, as a church? Let me ask you a question. How many of you other than Jesus know the name of someone who was crucified by Rome? Spartacus, yes. All right, y'all are much smarter than the first service. Like maybe online they knew it, but in the house, nothing. Um, so yeah, so Spartacus, right? How many of you have seen that movie? I am Spartacus, right? You know, Charlton Heston. If you haven't seen it, find somebody's VHS tape because that's what they're on. Um, VHS tapes, for those of you who are younger, were before DVDs. DVDs were before streaming, right? So, gotta go. so it's this really old movie that was great. And, and, and Spartacus, and the reason we know about the name Spartacus is because Rome wanted you to, right? Rome was very particular about how they got the message of who Spartacus was, what he did, and what was done to him out there. They paid historians, they paid people to go back and, and this is about 70, 71 BC, um, to write the story to instill fear over the rest of the Roman Empire. Because what was going on was, look, the Roman Empire, um, well, there was millions of slaves. And, and they knew, the Romans knew that if the slaves ever organized and decided not to be slaves anymore, that there was really very little that the Roman army could do. And so the way that they held peace together was through severe violence. And so Spartacus, who was a gladiator, had leadership skills, organized a whole bunch of people, and they led a revolution against Rome, and they were really successful up until the point where Rome reached its mighty strong arm out, totally squashed them. And what they did was they executed um, Spartacus and everyone who fought with him, and they crucified them, and they stuck them on these crosses, and they lined the highway from the place where the last battle was fought all the way towards Rome and it stretched on and on and on. And they were sending a message, right? They wanted people to know you don't mess with Rome. And so people were employed to write this story and to spread it out. And like, oh man, you remember Spartacus, don't mess with Rome. Yo, you remember what happened to that guy Spartacus, right? So we know why Spartacus was hurt, is remembered today because of Charles and Heston, but mainly because they, they wrote about it and they publicized it. It was all a PR movement. But why do we know the, the other name of someone who we know that was crucified by the Romans during that time? Why do we know the name Jesus? Because with the exception of one kind of Jewish historian, no one else wrote about him outside of those who really believed in him. There was no PR department behind it. There was no big push to get that message out. In fact, he was kind of in the eyes of Rome, an insignificant person from an insignificant town and an insignificant country. Why do we know the name? 
of Jesus. Why 2,000 later, years later are, are there churches just like ours all over the world in the one third of the world population that says Jesus is the son of God? Why do we gather today and talk about him? It was because the early church, right? It's because what we believe, the foundation on which we stand isn't, isn't what was taught, it was an event that happened. It was that, that Jesus was crucified like Spartacus. He was put into a grave like Spartacus, but he got out of the grave. It was this resurrection event that launched everything. And then Jesus who turned to the first church and said, be my witnesses, go in to the world and tell people about this, right? Tell them what you have seen. So the reason that we know the name Jesus is because, because people talked about it. Because when the first church started, that was their mission. Their mission was to tell people about Jesus Christ, that he's the son of God, that he died, that he conquered death for you. And they did an amazing job at it. And then what you see is as the church, as the church grew, the church got more structure. They weren't organized back in the first part of it. They just, Peter would walk around and give sermons and John would walk around. They just walk everywhere and they start telling people about, you've got to know what I know, what I saw. But then as it grew and it grew quickly and we talked about it last week that, that 3000 people on opening day of the church came to know Jesus from Peter's one sermon. And as the church began to grow, they began to, to get organized and they begin to get buildings and they begin to get preachers and choirs and robes and worship teams and all these different things. And, and when they did that, they began to have power and control. And when you have power and control, you want to keep power and control. And so when you open up yourself like the first church did and say, we're all for you, for you, for you, eventually when you have all of this stuff, you start turning it back in and you say, I'm for me, for me, for me. See that what Andy Stanley says about the, the natural gravitational pull of, uh, pull of the church is inward. It's the natural gravitational pull of the local church is to, is to look into itself. But that's not why we know the name of Jesus. You can tell by the way, uh, when, when churches do this and, and churches make the, make the turn pretty quickly from being outwardly focused to being inwardly focused from being the, the witnesses about what Jesus Christ has done to, to holding on to that message for ourselves. There's a lot of times, and Andy in his book tells the story of he and his father and when, when Andy was in college. And his dad, if you don't know who his dad is, his dad's a kind of a big deal. His dad is um, Dr. Charles Stanley, who's been on television um, preaching the gospel message for 40 something years. And, and he's just, he's got a ginormous church. He's kind of a famous pastor in the world of, of churches. And I mean, Andy has done all right for himself. Right. But, uh, but Charles is kind of a big deal. And, and, and so he and his dad, it was when Andy was in college, they, he was traveling with his dad somewhere in some little small town. And it was during the week. And, and they met this guy who, who invited him. He's like, Dr. Stanley, it'd be an honor if you would come to our church on Sunday. And he goes, well, I don't know if we're going to be here, but thank you so much. And and the guy went on Sunday rolls around, they were still in town. And, and so Charles and Andy show up at this church. They didn't say they were coming, they just showed up and, and they were greeted in the back by the ushers. And then they were directed to sit in the very last pew on the aisle and no one talked to them. And then all these people came in and they sat and they sat the first like 15 rows, he says, were just full of people. 
And, and then there was just a blank 20 rows until you got to the two Stanleys in the back. And, and so they go through the service and it's worship and, and prayer and, and the sermon, and then they do communion. And, and they served communion by walking down into um, the aisle and they would serve the first pew and then the second pew and the third. And they kept going back and back and back until they reached the last pew where people were before you hit the sea of, of emptiness in the Stanleys. And then they, they turned, they finished and they turned around and they walked back up to the altar and they set the stuff down without serving Charles or Andy communion. And so at this, Andy, who is in college at this time goes, what? Like, are you, like, I get it. I would put me in the back row too. He's, he said, at this time of my life, I would certainly put me in the back row. I get that you're missing me for communion, but do you know who my dad is? Like, you're not gonna come serve Dr. Charles Stanley, one of the, the premier gospel witnesses or people out here. You're gonna keep communion from him. And he's thinking this to himself and, and his dad's like, it's fine, you know, whatever. And so the service ends and the guy who invited them sees him. He goes, oh my gosh, you're here. And he comes over and he, he, he starts talking to him and, and Charles asks him, he's like, hey, how come you didn't serve his communion? He goes, yeah, um, well, when, when people come to church, visitors come to church, especially on communion Sundays, we sit them in the back so that we don't mistakenly give them communion because they're not members. And he says, oh, I didn't know your church owned the body of Jesus, right? Like you had, like you, you were the only ones who could do communion. This is when churches turn inwardly, right? They're focused on themselves and not the message that Christ the son of God who died and conquered death. It, it, I, like I've experienced this too. When, when I, every time I go to a Catholic service and those of you recovering Catholics know this, they're very adamant that unless you are a Catholic, you can't receive communion. I go every single time. I'm like, I'm not a Catholic, but you will not keep me from Jesus, right? The only time I've stopped is if they know who I am. Is if, if they know, I, like I was at a wedding once and, and I was going and they knew I was a pastor, a Methodist pastor. And Jenna's like, you cannot go. Like they can't keep me from Jesus. She's like, sit down. But there's this thing where people get this control and we turn inwardly. And you probably have your own stories about this, right? There's a lot of, like some people, man, and this is a tough one when people are growing up and there's a divorce in their family and, and then the church chooses who gets to stay maybe even neither of them because they're divorced. It's the church looking in on itself and it's breaking people. You know, you may, maybe you, you grew up in a church or you've seen a church where, where the humanity of the, of the people comes out and, and they're just, there's politics. And look, the church is made up of fallen individuals and there's politics and, and, and church leadership structures just like there is in your businesses and schools. And, and so maybe you've been to one where there, it just got bad and people were yelling back and forth at one another and they're trying to fire this pastor and, and get rid of this person and, and, and all this stuff, this, this evil just stuff that's just spewing back and forth and you sat back and you're like, man, my pagan friends know how to love one another better than these church people, right? Because so often we just lose the path that God has given us and we go from being like this to like this. One of the easy ways you can know if a church has lost its direction is, is to listen to how the church prays. L listen to how, how a church prays and, and what they say in their prayers because it says a lot about what the church believes the mission of the church ought to be. In fact, the very first prayer of, of the very first church is, is really the one that should drive us. And we're gonna look at Acts chapter four 
in just a second. If you have a Bible app, open it up, or a Bible at home, open that up into Acts chapter four. But, and Luke records the very first prayer that, that, that the church prays. But let me ask you a question before we get into it. How do you pray? Like, what does it sound like when, when, when you pray? What do you, what do you pray for? And before you answer that, I can probably tell you because most every single one of us prays the same way. We pray for the same things. We pray for ourselves. We, we pray for our, our family and two or three other sick people or two or three sick people, right? Isn't that typically your prayer list? You, you kind of go through like, I'm gonna pray for myself, I'm gonna pray for my family and I'm gonna pray for you know, a couple other sick people and, and then I've checked in with God. And, and that's the model that, that most people use is to pray for those things. We, we, we pray for like, God, give me a safe trip on this, give us a safe journey as we're driving. Like Natalie mentioned that earlier. The first service, I, like Jen and I are planning an RV trip with the kids this summer. That's right, there's an RV, Clark. Um, and, and so we're, we're planning this deal. And let me tell you, I'm gonna be praying that God would give us, get us safely to where we're going and where we're coming back, right? There's gonna be a lot of prayers on that journey. But a lot of times, don't you think when you pray those things, God, get me, get me safely, safe journey, safe journeys. God's like, hey, buckle your seatbelt, drive the speed limit. Taken care of. God, God, those of you who just uh, finished school maybe, have you ever, or are those of you in here, have you ever prayed when you were taking a test? God, please let me get an A on this test. And God's like, hey, I got an idea, study. God, I haven't opened my textbook once this year. Let me get an A on this test. Yeah, okay, right? Because we pray for these, God, please, please let my face clear up this weekend before the big dance, right? You know, you pray, you pray these little things and God, and, and we wake up in the morning, oh, thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for this day. God's like, I get it. You're welcome. Now, what are you gonna do with it? See, because a lot of times what we're praying, we're praying little prayers and we get little results because of it. We pray these little things. We're like, God, me, 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 me. If you look back, if somebody looks back over the last year of their prayers, who would have benefited most? Right? Usually us. Because what happens is when we, when we begin to only focus those things and when we begin to only pray those ways, when we have these self-centered prayers, we become self-centered people. When, and when a church is full of people who are just praying for themselves, guess what the church becomes? Self-centered. We go from being like this and we only do this. And God all the time is like, man, 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 this is all you have? Bring me something, challenge me, let's do this. But a lot of times we're so nervous about how to pray or maybe we don't know how that we just focus inward. But see, that's not what the, the first prayer was about. The first prayer of the first, the first church in, in Acts chapter four, um, Luke records it and, and it, it's, let me tell you what's going on, right? Okay, so, so Peter and the disciples, they see Jesus, see Jesus, he tells them you're gonna get the Holy Spirit. All this stuff's gonna happen. They, they find themselves, um, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. They begin to speak in all these different languages, right? Remember the opening day of the church, 3000 people come to know Jesus that day. It's just this amazing day, how amazing, just huge stuff going on. And then, then a couple of days later, Peter 
and, and John are going into the temple because they're, they're Jews, right? They believe in Jesus, but they, don't, they haven't worked it all out yet. It was unorganized. They're just loving Jesus and talking to people about Jesus. And so they're going into the temple to pray because that's what a Jew does. And if you remember the story, they walk by the temple gate and there's this guy sitting there who's been there his entire life and, he, and he's lame, it says. He can't walk. And, and, and he says, hey, would you give me some money? And Peter goes, man, we don't have money to give you, but do you want to walk? Like, I got something better. How about you just stand up and walk, right? And he's like, yes. And, and he heals him in the name of Jesus. The guy, let's call him Bob, gets up and walks. And Peter and John walk into the temple and Bob follows them in, right? And so you have all these people who are in the temple because Pentecost has come and gone. And, and, and so the people have kind of cleared out, but there's still a lot of people in there um, in, in the city of Jerusalem hanging on and, and you have all this commotion and people are like, dude, is that Bob? Wait, wait, that's, I remember him. He's been there since I, every day I've come to the temple, that guy's been sitting there and he can't walk. Oh my, he's walking right now. And Peter, as all these people are kind of crowding around and going, dude, what's up with Bob? Who knew? Peter takes the, second, the, the next opportunity to preach his second sermon. Boom, and he starts preaching and he starts talking about resurrection and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and, and, and all of this stuff and the power that comes with knowing the name of Jesus, right? He's just laying it out there and thousands more come to know who Jesus is. So, and, and Luke says, there were 5,000 men. At the end of that day, 5,000 men gave their lives to Jesus and knew who Jesus was. That's not counting the women or the children. And if you take into account that it's about 60, 70,000 people in Jerusalem at this time, you're coming up on 10% of the population knows who Jesus is from two sermons. Man, that guy could preach. Two sermons about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about the name of Jesus. But see, the power structure of the day, the structure of the Pharisees who are looking totally inwardly, don't like this. And so they arrest Peter and John and they throw them in prison for the night. And Peter and John spend the night in jail and, and jail isn't pretty, right? And they bring them out on the, the next day and they, and they bring them back before the Pharisees and they're like, hey, y'all need to stop talking about this. And Peter delivers another sermon and he starts talking about Jesus again. Like he still stinks of jail, but he can't stop talking about Jesus. And he goes in and he finishes it with this. We're Acts 4, chapter four, verse 12. He says, look, salvation is found in no one else, no one else other than Jesus he's talking about, right? For there is no other name, Jesus, given under heaven by which we must be saved. Like this is, he's just like barreling in. And, and you have to think that the people around there, the Pharisees like, oh, come on, man, just settle down a little bit. Moses, kind of a big deal, right? We talk about how the fact he brought people out of slavery into freedom and Peter won't back down. He's like, there is no other name but Jesus. No other name but Jesus. And then he says this, or the Pharisees do this. When they saw the courage that Peter and John, of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, the Greek word here is idiote, which means idiots. Um, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. 
See, like Peter walks in and he starts dropping once again the resurrection word, the R word. And he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not as a historical event, but as something that happened two months ago, that there are hundreds of people around who witnessed it. It's not something that he read in a book. It's something that he saw with his eyes. And he's talking about this event, this resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees are just dying inside and they want him to stop talking, but they can't say anything because there's Bob. And Bob yesterday couldn't stand. And now Bob walked in. Bob's a stander now. He probably hadn't sat down or laid down since Peter healed him the day before. Here's Bob right there. What are you gonna do about that, Pharisees? Right, you're just gonna be quiet a little bit. And so at the end of it, they, they bring Peter aside and they're like, hey, look, 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 guys. The Bob thing, pretty impressive but stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about the resurrection. In fact, if you don't, we're gonna throw you into jail or even worse. And Peter says this, he's like, look, man, you do what you gotta do, I'm gonna do what I gotta do. And what I gotta do is talk about Jesus. And they leave and they go back and they find the room. Luke says they find the room with Mary and the other disciples and they tell them the story. Like, you will not believe. I'm sure John's like, dude, you will not believe what Peter did yesterday. First, healed a guy, walked into the temple with us. His name's Bob. Y'all know Bob, right? He can walk now, right? It's amazing. All the Pharisees were so mad and Peter just did it again. He started talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know Jesus? I know Jesus. And he starts doing all this stuff. Then we got thrown in jail. Man, jail's no fun. You don't want to go there. It was horrible. But then, but then we got let out the next day and he talked about Jesus again. And, and the Pharisees, they threatened us. And they said, if you come back, man, we're gonna throw you in jail or even worse. Can you imagine this? And then the group gets together and they pray. Because that's what you do when you're faced with this insurmountable thing. This, this is big stuff they're dealing with. And so they gather together as a group and they pray. And what do they pray for? What would you pray for? Protection, right? Wisdom, guidance. Like, I mean, I, look, if, if Peter and John and, and the disciples lived in the day that we do right now, they would have prayed, God put a hedge of protection around us. Right, hey, you ever prayed for a hedge of protection? It's an old Job thing, right? God, protect us, Sit, surround us with your angel armies and let, a, let not a hair be harmed on us. God, let keep us from them, right? You know, the other disciples be sitting there because look, Peter's the, Peter's the first Pope if you're Catholic, he's a big deal, right? He's the leader of this movement and, and John's right there behind him. This is number one, number two guy. They're probably like, look, okay, look, look guys. Peter and John, you can't travel together anymore. Like if we lose one of you, I mean, we still got the, we can't lose both of you at the same time again. You cannot travel together anymore, right? Or, or, or maybe they're getting security plans. Hey, we need some zealots because zealots are not afraid to kill or be killed and surround you with zealots. So when you go in and you go out to preach, you'll have people, it's like the black bulletproof escalades of the day, right? Surround yourself in these security measures so that you're safe. Stay safe, stay safe, Peter and John. Uh, and, and then the third thing, they'd probably be like, hey, um, can you tone down the rhetoric a little bit? Like, can we just, just ease off the gas a little bit, Peter? I mean, ah, I know you're, you've had good numbers, great success with this message, but it's really causing some problems. And, and can you just dial it back a little bit? I mean, and really, really seriously, stop pointing to the Jews and saying that they crucified Jesus. We know they did, but please stop doing it. It's really offensive to them and we don't want to offend anyone. 
right? A lot of times that's the message that today would bring. We would say, come up with some sort of plan and strategy that separates the leadership. Nothing but protection and don't offend anybody. Stay safe and don't bring offense. You better stay safe and, and be out there because it's a dangerous world, but you better not offend anyone either. But this is, this is what they pray. I'm getting carried away here. I'm not even looking at my notes and I'm looking at the time and they're flashing me. Verse 24 says this, it says, when they heard this, when they hear the story, they hear the story of, of Peter and John, they raise their voices together in prayer. This is the first prayer that Luke records, right? It says, sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the, and the earth and the sea and everything in them. See, what they're doing is they're reminding God that they know who he is. God, we're gonna come to you in prayer, but we know who you are, okay? So we're coming to you as the one who created all things. We come to you this way. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And so now they're going to Old Testament. They're going to pray scripture, which is such a wonderful thing to do. And they're bringing this, this Old Testament messianic prophecy. And so what they're telling God is, we know who you are and we know who Jesus is, right? And so they're gonna drop this prophecy. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against your anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city. Like again, this isn't anything they read. This is something that they saw and witnessed yards, hundreds of yards away from where they were, right? And so they're just saying it was in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, who you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Man, I love that line, right? They did what you decided. Nothing is spiraling out of control right now. You've got this. They're telling God that we understand who you are, who Jesus is, and that you're still in control. Now, Lord, and here, here it is. Here's the gimme part, right? Here's where you turn into the, okay, now I'm gonna ask for, thank you for this day, God. Now keep me safe, right? And so they've gotten through the thank you for this day part, and now they're getting to the keep me safe part. Now, Lord, Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I'm sorry, what? Right, they've just come out of prison. Like they were in prison yesterday and here they come and they're praying and their lives are in danger and their prayer is not for protection, it is for boldness. By our 21st century standards, they're bold. Right? I mean, they're like, you're already bold. Don't pray for more boldness, you have it, right? And, but they're like, no, 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 no. Let us be more bold. Let us be out there and be able to speak your word. Let us get into this world with courage, with no fear, and to walk with boldness and speak your word. How many of you have ever prayed for great boldness? Like, how many of you have ever like, just said, God, give, give me boldness in this moment. Give me boldness to go in there and just to, to barrel in. It's kind of against our nature. And yet it's what the first church was praying. And it wasn't praying for weirdness. It wasn't praying to walk in and go, Jesus! It wasn't that. It was to let the power of God move in the moment. Right, and, and we'll talk about the weirdness next week, but, but it was a prayer for boldness to go out there. And then, it, then they take the next step. If that isn't enough, it says, stretch out your hand to heal 
and perform wonders and signs through the name of your servant, Jesus. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform wonders and signs. And this is where we lose a lot of people because you're like, oh, here we go. You're gonna start lining people up and slapping them on the forehead going, you are healed. Get up in the name of Jesus, right? And that's, thank you, Melissa. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not, see, look, the miracles were not for the people who were miracled, right? Like Bob, who was healed, man, that was a great day for Bob, right? I mean, day number one of the best day of my life was the day that Peter walked by and healed me. But have you seen Bob lately? No, because he's dead, right? He eventually died. It's not like, you know, he was healed by Peter. He's walking around going, man, Peter healed me 2,000 years ago. I can't get sick. I don't know what it is. I just, I'm here forever. The healings, the signs and the wonders, they're great for those people, but they're not for those people alone. They're for everyone else who witnesses it to go, holy cow, God is big. See, and so what these people were praying, this first church was saying, God, give us boldness, stretch out your hand so that we might live our lives in such a way that someone might go, ha, that's God. Look, we've been living in quarantined, isolated times and we've been sheltered in place. And if one more person says, stay safe to me, they're not going to be safe. Stop, stop, just warning, fair warning right here. You stay safe to me, you better duck, all right? Tired of hearing it. And I get the mentality behind it, but we're the church. We're the, we're the knowers and the believers in Jesus Christ in the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are the people who should be bold and walking into this world saying, God, let me do signs and wonders that people may know who you are. If we're gonna be a true church and answer the calling that God has given us, we gotta get out of our comfort zones. We can't be safe. I love what C.S. Lewis says about Aslan. He goes, man, yes, he's a lion and he's dangerous, but he's good, but he's good. Yes, it is a dangerous world out there, but it's our job to be in it. It's our job to be in the world. Yes, you take your precautions. Yes, you do what you need to do, but we can't stay behind closed doors any longer. We, 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 can't, we can't run away from our obligation to be the church and to be bold and to live our lives in such a way that people who don't know who Jesus are know who he is. Man, let, let, let me tell you, because if we are, we're a church just, just holding on to what we have. We're a people who are holding on to our own salvation and it's not ours to hold on to. We cannot become an inwardly focused church. We have to be a bold church and pray big prayers. Look, I don't want you to stop praying the way you're praying. Get up in the morning. I'm not gonna stop praying for my wife and my kids and I'm not gonna stop praying for my family and for the sick people that are on my list. I'm not gonna stop praying for God help me to, to be safe and, and to not kill one of my children on the RV trip, not because of my driving, but because of my anger, right? I'm still gonna pray all those things, right? And, and I want you to pray those things too and I want you to continue to pray. But man, do this, add something to your prayers. At the end of your prayer, pray the prayer of the first church. And Lord, let me be bold today. Let me be bold, whatever that looks like, God, whatever, whatever that looks like in this world, whatever opportunity comes my way, 
Give me the words and the wisdom. Let me be bold and to have the courage and to not stand in fear or silence, to not be weird and crazy and to run somebody off, but, but let me be bold in the message that you've given me. And God, stretch out, and this is the next step, right? That's maybe an easier one. And God, stretch out your hand to perform healings and signs and wonders. Work in my life. Move in my life in such a way that someone notices and says, aha, that's who God is. Because when we are a church who does that, when we are a church who has big prayers, we stop holding it here and we let others know. Let us be a big church with big prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the way that you move, God. I thank you so much for Peter and John and for these amazing men and women of the first church who, who weren't afraid, even in the midst of death, their lives were in so much more danger than ours are for believing what they believed. And yet they couldn't be stopped. The fact that they had boldness is the only reason why we stand here today and we know Jesus. Maybe it is our church's turn to be bold and to perform signs and wonders for the generations behind us so that they may know, the generations who are coming so that they may know that you are God. It is our responsibility to carry that message forward. May we not stay safe. Yes, let's be smart, but let's have the boldness and the courage to take the message of Christ into this world. God, we thank you. And we praise you in Jesus' holy name. And the church said, amen. Would you please stand and join us in worship one more time?